Hello and welcome to this episode of Cargo Facts Connect, the podcast of Cargo Facts, the newsletter of record for the air cargo and freighter aircraft industries for over 40 years. I'm your host, Robert Luke, Associate Editor of Cargo Facts. And I'm Jeff Lee, Editor of Cargo Facts. It's the end of the week, Jeff, and I am just returned from the International Society of Transport Aircraft Trading. America's event that has taken place in San Diego. And there was some very interesting discussion topics, specifically in the freight around that it took place at the MA Lessers panel discussion. I saw and heard some very interesting information that came from that group as they primarily focused on the outlook of acquisition and mergers. And I thought that was very interesting for a few reasons. One, we got an in-depth look at what it is they do strategically when they decide that they either need to merge and acquire another asset or just pretty much stay in their lane. Many were very concerned that, you know, the market was being narrowed down to an oligopoly because of the recent mergers that took place between the Carlisle Group and Chung Kong Asset Holdings when they acquired that AMCK Aviation portfolio of 125 narrow-body aircraft. And in addition to that, when SMBC acquired Gold Shock Management. But what I came away learning uh, was that those were just basic investments they needed to strengthen their portfolio, as a lot of them have been looking at future investment opportunities. And uh, from my understanding, there's a genuine uh, interest that's now being provided for the freighter market segment, although it wasn't specifically disclosed. Other panel discussions alluded to that as lessors have become more in tune to what's going on on the freighter market side, primarily with the assistance of the uh, historical boost from the pandemic. But just going forward, knowing that, you know, there's going to be a strong demand as a lot of the freighters are due for retirement. But back to the lease panel, um, I think there was some very, very interesting, insightful, in-depth knowledge that was shared. But one of my favorite panels, of course, was the cargo panel. Um, there was a lot of things that I came away very impressed with. And, and there was a universal theme and language that's being shared by everybody right now where they're not very uh, concerned about any more further downturn about the market. In fact, if you uh, have been listening to our recent podcast that we've had lately, as well as the articles that we've written recently, you'll come to know that everybody's investing for the long haul and they're revamping their fleets with renewals of new conversions and production builds to replace the soon to be expiring uh, older freighters that are be due for retirement in the near future. But some of the interesting uh, points that I want to focus on was uh, discussed in the, in the actual cargo panel with um, Atlas Chief Commercial Officer Michael Steen. He noted something very interesting here where he said uh, the 747 production with the last one being delivered to Atlas just a few months ago is going to create a void in the industry, specifically uh, focusing on the functionality of the nose loader, which I thought was very interesting because if you think about it, there isn't going to be another aircraft of that type capable of performing that operation. And if we look at the volumes and the carrying capacity and the fact that, you know, out of these uh, 600 older freighters, 120 of them 
which will mostly consist of the 74s, your MD 11Fs, and a few other older uh, 747, I'm sorry, 8300 freighters that are due for retirement. 120 of them are going to be gone within the next five to 10 years. And looking at the limited supply of feedstock right now, even just for the uh, slotted replacement 777-300ERs, and the fact that the 777-8Fs have not even been unleashed yet, and the 8350Fs also have a few more years to go before they start their production run, there's going to be a lack of supply. And uh, Michael Steen even referred to that as possibly being similar to what we experienced in the pandemic. So I think based on the universal theme and, 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 and the mindset of not just him, but ATSG and uh, various other operators in the industry, they are ramping up even DHL, which has been accumulating assets left and right. Um, you know, they're preparing for this situation as best as they can to try to mitigate and be proactive. Um, I do have to give a shout out to Rich Carrado and Michael Berger and the rest of the ATSG team for uh, one, uh, putting on a great uh, display there as well at the cargo panel. Uh, Rich Carrado was very confident and recently announced that of the 30 A330 uh, freighters that they have committed to in conversion orders and slots, 20 of them uh, already been confirmed with deposits and agreements. And this line is expected to run until 2028. So I just think that is amazing um, in the midst of what everyone is concerned about and are saying is a downturn turning soon to become a recession. Uh, the basic uh, operators and, and managers and lessors in the industry are, are zigging when everybody else is zagging, for, for lack of a better term. So um, with that being said, I will transition to some other news that happened this week. Uh, our One of the bigger cargo operators in Canada, CargoJet, has agreed to release the 777-300ERs. And I'm going to let Jeff kind of speak on this further and just to bring the uh, intellectual data from our walking uh, air cargo encyclopedia and, and, and infamous editor of knowledge here into play to describe this further. But we're going to have a little discussion session as um, he kind of unveils more details regarding this. So, Jeff, what are your thoughts? Share the facts. Yeah, so um, I, I mean, I, I, I have to say this did come as a bit of a surprise because, um, you know, cargo jet um, only bought these um, three triple seven three hundred ERs uh, last year. Um, these ex Etihad frames, and they were um, basically yeah getting ready to send them off to IAI for conversion. Um, and we know they had four slots, uh, four triple seven three hundred ERSF slots, um, and they had bought three. But now they are saying that they are um, in. Well, they've basically signed an agreement to sell. Uh, two of these. Um, and a kind of interesting side question is who did they sell these to? Um, now we know they bought these from Altair. Don't leak uh, out the secrets. <laughs> <laughs> I know. They, well, it's not the secret that they bought them from Altair, I guess, but um, you know, who? Uh, we, we've been wondering who they've been selling it to. And there's also a, a question of you know the push and pull factor because yes, cargo jet um, wanted to sell these off, but also you know what about from the whoever purchased these um, was there how much of a, of a pull was there from that side of the equation? 
Um, Absolutely. Interesting questions. Um, I think this is also something you picked up on um, at ISTAT. The dynamics with the 777-300ER um, are changing and they're interesting because um, with the manufacturer delays on the wide body mm-hmm. programs, um, lessors, operators, I mean, there, there's now um, actually more demand for the large um, existing large wide bodies like the 777-300ER um, for passenger service. And so, the, you know, that it's, re- it's really the- unfortunate, you know, um, just to kind of, you know, plug in real quick here and I'll let you continue. But it's really I, I don't want to say unfortunate. I'll retract that. But it's really uh, intriguing is a better word for it. Um, you know, at, at one point, the passengers were on their way out because production from the uh, plane makers, the manufacturers, both Airbus and Boeing, were, were, were pretty much on on schedule. But just just look at what happens when. Uh, supply chain logistics uh, creates a little snag. And now all of a sudden, those expected new passenger replacements are on extended delays, just like the conversions were a couple of years ago, or even as recently as last year. And it's got to the point where uh, the operators of the existing feedstock for conversion are like, we're holding on to these. And we, we we have to keep these until we know we have our replacements on the way and not just by verbal by verbal commitment, but actual physical presence sitting in front of our tarmac, it's here now. These triple seven, three hundred ERs can go. So just uh, you know, that's very, very intriguing. But I'm sorry, yeah, please so, continue. You know, because um, I think in the past two years, there nobody um predicted how uh strongly the passenger market um would bounce back, and so uh, you know they were thinking that the triple seven, three hundred ER was um well there there was going to be a much reduced demand for this large passenger wide body, um, mm-hmm. which then affected its prices. But then, and, and actually at, at the time, um, actually smaller wide bodies like the A330 then became actually very much in demand for passenger use as well. Um, Indeed. But now we're seeing that come, come back to the 777-300. And so, you know, what kind of, um, how, yeah, how much pull was then? What kind of price did they get um to sell these back um but um so they 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 had four um slots with iai they have now deferred the uh one of those slots to um 20 24 25 so they'll be taking deliver redelivery um for now at least of um one triple seven three hundred ERSF in uh sort of around mid 2025 um They've sold two, and they've also um, deferred one um, indefinitely. Um, just from a, you know, and I'm gonna just chime in real quick. Here are some things that just came to mind, and I'm not saying this is accurate, so please don't take my word for gold. But when the delays occurred, right, and even with the conversion order probably pushed back, uh, whoever you know was the financier of this behind cargo jet obviously was not going to wait a couple of years before they could start paying on it. So that could have been what prompted them to move forward with the uh, selling of the 2777-300ERs. But there's also a potential benefit in this because if they're now deferring their conversion orders to an ex- to, to a later point, because obviously 
what we're learning also, Jeff, is that most of these operators, lessors or what have you, when they're signing up for conversion order slots, they don't just sign up for one or two. They do it in bundles of 10 to 15 and they want to know that they have the fee stock to keep rolling it in because it, it, it helps to streamline expense and revenue. Uh, it helps to streamline expense while they maximize revenue. So this could actually work out in cargo jets favor because once the uh, replacement aircraft do get online from on in the passenger sector and they start to roll out, then guess what happens? Now the 777-300ERs become available in massive loads and now you can get them probably at a cheaper rate than what you initially paid for. So that's just something to think about right. from a, I mean, from a different uh, yeah, perspective. Went into the decision probably um, they they realized they could get a good price um, to sell them now um, while things kind of stabilize on the cargo front um, and well yeah and then doing so they get to free up some money that they can um, pay off debts with and you know maybe in a couple of years they'll be able to uh, purchase feedstock at an even better price than they did for these ones so. Yeah, oh, um, difficult um, decisions, but um, and just a very complex dynamic there. But um, also interesting is that they um, they are going ahead with the triple seven because uh, let's remember that the large wide body segment is completely new to them. They only have seven six sevens right now, and they were um, going to go and expand into the large wide body with both the triple seven two hundred and the three hundred yard um, conversions. Um, now, so now they're, they're simplifying that um, somewhat by just um, only going ahead uh, for now in the immediate short term, going ahead with the 777-200LRs um, that they're converting with Mammoth um, and that they are going to be flying uh, for DHL um, mm-hmm. as part of that agreement that they expanded agreement that they um, announced last year. So um, yeah, they for now, they're still expecting um, those four 777-200-LRMFs um, um, and those will be coming, um, uh, the first one will be coming early next year. Um, and that's probably not a bad way to start themselves off into the large wide body because if there's any frame that's close or has some sort of similarity to the 7.6, it would be the 777-200 versus the 300ER. So they're getting indoctrinated into the new airframe, but on a smaller scale, that's kind of in a in a not so small way, but close enough, uh, similar to the current airframe they work on the medium uh, twin engine uh, wide body 7.6s. Yeah. And um well and, and then on the opposite end of the spectrum, they, they are still um getting more narrow bodies um in the form of seven five seven conversions. So uh they they are still um growing pretty significantly, just uh, kind of putting a hold on the the largest uh platform uh, for now. Um absolutely. But- and what I want to do is if I can plug this in real quick, I, I did forget to mention this when I was talking about ISTAT, but I do want to thank Iman Cronin over at Airwork for stopping by and chatting with us. And I want to give a shout out to our Cargo Facts consultant uh, crew, uh, new member Anthony Galanda. Welcome aboard. Glad to have you. It was a pleasure meeting you in San Diego. Looking forward to doing many wonderful projects and uh, working together on some uh, growth and development of the Cargo Facts brand, and definitely Guillermo Ochovo. Uh, he's soon becoming a dear friend of mine, very humble young man. He's aspiring with a 
you know, passion to pursue and pursue with excellence in this field. And he's very, very, very knowledgeable. I would say he's close to Jeff, but he's a definite second. So, uh, you know, that being said, thank you guys. It's wonder It was wonderful hanging out with you. And uh, I look forward to not only attending more events with you, but working with you in a closer capacity. I also want to give a shout out to Bart Matuswitz over at A-List Group. And thank you, Tom Crabtree. You were wonderful on the uh, M&A. Uh, I'm sorry, you were wonderful on the cargo panel. Let me get the correct panel right here. I appreciated your insight and you were very informative, but you were humble enough to stop by and say hello to us and spend a few minutes of your busy schedule to just impart in us some wisdom and knowledge. And we are sincerely appreciative of that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, gentlemen. Okay, Jeff, uh, please continue. Now, yeah, no. So the other um, major development from this week, of course, um, also concerning large white bodies, um, but in uh, Japan, where ANA Group announced that it will be acquiring Nippon Cargo Airlines, NCA. Um, now, uh, there's a lot to say about this, but um, mm -hmm. the the thing that jumped out to us was that through this deal, ANA now jumps to within the top ten and, and actually top five um, combination carrier groups globally in terms of free to fleet. Um, That's amazing, right? Because they um, so NCA has eight 747-8s that they operate and seven uh, 747-400s that they that they don't operate so we didn't include this the 7400 fs um mm. but even with that uh in combination with the ana free uh which consists of two triple seven fs and nine seven six sevens a mix of uh, production and conversions but um that basically takes them to 19 uh freighters mm -hmm. Which is, um, you know, I have to say, given the the size of the ANA group um, before this deal, it always seemed like they were uh, the, their large rate of fleet uh, was a bit lacking uh, with just mm -hmm. the two triple sevens. Now the nine seven six sevens, obviously, they um, have a pretty substantial in, um, intra Asia network with those, but now uh, with this acquisition they um there's a lot more for them to play with um with the 747-8s and yes they previously had some kind of an agreement with um nca but um now that they're going to be fully um under the ana umbrella uh that does give them um, a lot more capacity to deal to play with and um you know they can take advantage of of um all sorts of things with uh with the long haul and the intra-Asia um, operations and all that. Um, but I, you have to wonder with the um, 767 um, fleet, mm -hmm. some of those um, are getting near, I would say, replacement or retirement age. Um, yeah, long so, in the tooth, yeah. Right. Um, so I, you know, I wonder what will happen to that um fleet particularly because um nca also operates um right now at least uh those 747s um intra asia um from japan to places like uh singapore hong kong and china and so there's a bit of overlap there um with this with the ana 767s um gotcha. what will we see um happen what 
what's going to change? We don't know. Um, another question is, will they keep um, those two AOCs separate? Um, I don't mm -hmm. know. But in, in we, addition to that, I mean, who's to say that they are even planning to operate the seven fours? I mean, it's really never been in their wheelhouse, you know? So uh, what's the game plan? I mean, is this an opportunity to acquire assets that they can flip for sale and, and, and boost up? capital to really get what they want you know i mean we don't know what's going on inside the uh the, the board meeting room but these are definite questions that that you know come to mind right i mean if you ask me i i think um i think they will be keeping those 747s and i actually think that they will keep um the two aocs um so you know they basically the only thing that would change is the the ownership um because ANA the ANA group um has various other airlines um and AOCs um you know like the low cost um AOC and mm -hmm. the, the regional so yeah I think I would guess that they are going to keep the the um NCA AOC separate um but they will most likely um keep the dash A's because there is a value to them and of course the there's a whole um, long haul network, uh, freighter network that they can now have because um, with just their two triple sevens, they had a pretty small um, intercontinent long haul operation. Um, and that's, mainly and to that's a key thing like Chicago to and um, Frankfurt, I believe. But you know now, yeah, there's um, a whole new set of um, operations that they um, can take advantage of. Um, they are growing their large body body fleet. Um, you know, they have the two triple seven dash eights um that they've ordered um that are coming, mm -hmm. you know, twenty-seven, twenty-eight. Um yeah, and, and another question is um what what does NCA eventually want to do with um those seven four seven four hundred? Um don't know. Don't know the answer to that. Um but yeah, we may see some um yeah some other plans for those or uh, replacements uh we shall see but um yeah th this was a pretty major deal and um yeah it, it means and ANA will now be um you know in the top five or six um combination carry groups by uh active relatively and it alters the landscape in a tremendous way because you know going back to that uh a remark I made earlier, a uh, question rather, you know, um, who 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 were their competitors? What routes are they going to be putting placing these on, uh, in addition to what they're currently serving? Um, and you know, from a competitor standpoint, who's taking note of this? How does it change their strategy in being able to serve that Asia Pacific region? You know, because they just basically let the put the put the rest of that region plus U.S. carriers that. We're delivering a lot of goods in and out of that region on notice. Like, okay, you guys used to probably uh, see us as small with just our two triple sevens, but you know, the dynamics have definitely changed since then. After this acquisition has been finalized, so right, yeah, um, and so yeah, they they basically now are um, much closer to the other um, or some other Asia Pacific um, combination carry groups like Cafe Pacific. Mm -hmm. um korean air and uh china airlines and of course mm -hmm. korean air is in the process of merging with asiana which also has um 
a three to feet of its own. So we don't know well, what's going to happen. Well, pending final approval, right. they still have a little obstacle to hurdle over. But yeah, that's their that's their that's their ultimate goal. Yeah, we mm-hmm. will have to see what happens with that combined three to feet. Um, but mm-hmm. that would push up the numbers a bit as well. But Cafe is right now. Cafe is um, way up there um, because it, of course, has the Air Hong Kong um, brand as well. Uh, so supporting DHL, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, these these are um, all and interestingly, um, most of the top ten um, combination carry groups uh, with free active free to fleets are in the Asia Pacific region, um, and you know, ANA's uh, jump just uh solidifies that looking at that 400 fleet the 747-400 let me clarify specifically um how much life do you think has those aircraft have if the typical average lifespan is about 35 years thank you michael steen for confirming that over at atlas um how how much time do you think they have with those 747-400s before they've got to make some uh retirement decisions um quite yet um first of all the, i mean those are uh production uh freighters so okay they there's a they i mean they offer pretty good value proposition and those are well those are operated by atlas air currently as part of a um an agreement that um and nca basically created this um logistics subsidiary called plus logistics um which is behind the uh, marketing um, of the capacity of the, those aircraft. But uh, no, I mean, I think they'll still be around for um, at least, I don't know, five, five, ten years. Okay, well, they still got some time left in them, and that's good. You know, Jeff, I think it's time to do a quick transition and go from yeah, the, the wide other... body down to the regionals. Yes. Right. So there was some... About that. There was another interesting piece of news that broke out at ISTAT. Um, Canadian North has officially uh, put into operation its um, first two ATR-70s. And uh, these are going to be ATR-72-500F. And uh, they've already been registered. They're ready to go. But here's the interesting thing, you know, um, because you know us at Cargo Facts. Especially Jeff. Jeff has definitely taught his associate editors very well. You don't just settle for the release of news. You go find out what the real news is all about. So after being able to finally get through to Canadian North, we've, we were able to confirm that both aircraft are being fitted with unique equipment necessary to fly in the high Arctic and will be ready for operations this month. That's cool. I hope those you pilots. Were, you corrected yourself because uh, I was going to say they they aren't in operation yet, right? And you, they've they've taken on uh, and added to their fleet these two aircraft, but they um, they haven't actually started flying them yet. And that's why I said ready for operations this month. I had to kind of circle that back around. But thank you for confirming that. Um, so yeah, it, I hope the pilots have their wetsuits on because it's going to be uh, some rigid some frigid temperatures that they'll be flying into. Um, and, and that's interesting because if I'm not mistaken, um, you know, they do have some 737, 300 and 400 combi aircraft, but now they're going turboprop. Uh, so that's very, very unique. But uh, I think that's going to be kind of fun to keep an eye on. What do you think, Jeff? 
Yeah, um, it's, well, first of all, uh, Canada just generally uh, has seen uh, almost an explosion in the in its freighter fleet, uh, both uh, on the wide body side, of course, with cargo jet and now Air Canada, mm. uh, but also, you know, on the regional side um, with Canadian North and the, several other carriers um, all taking ATR freighters. Um, and I think th this feeds into what um, ACIA um, told you at, in San Diego about just kind of the potential of the Canadian market for these regional mm -hmm. freighters. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think the other thing about Canadian North um, is what's um, going to happen uh, or what are they thinking um, in terms of those older classics um, and the combis. Um, they, yeah, it's they're not the only carrier with um, sort of these older 737s in Canada. Yes, Jeff, it's very speculative right now. And thank you for planting those seeds of uh, additional thought and um, uh, and uh, forward thinking as we try to uh, understand what their next strategic movement will be. But um, it is going to be interesting. Uh, I've always had an interest in seeing, you know, especially when you used to see uh, some of the Canadian 737-200s with the skis on on the on the landing gear flying into those extreme cold uh, temperature regions, and you know, it's just amazing uh, to see that type of operation uh, being conducted, and then and then doing it consistently because uh, that is just not my element. Um, I, I couldn't see me. Uh, you know, taking on that challenge. I'm not a, I'm not a cold. I'm not acclimated to the cold like that, but you on the other end are probably on point. So, yeah, uh, and you wouldn't have any problems handling that. So um, congratulations to Canadian North. We look forward to seeing more exciting things happening. And on that note, that's all we have time for today. For more multimedia coverage like this, search Cargo Facts Connects on iTunes and Spotify and search CargoFacts.com. Thank you very much, everyone, for tuning in, and join us again next time. <laughs>